South Africa now has its first death resulting from the novel coronavirus. On Friday, 27 March, Health Minister Zwerin Kieze said in a statement that the fatality occurred in the Western Cape. The victim is a 48-year-old woman who tested positive for COVID-19 earlier this week. She already had a pre-existing condition. She was suffering from a pulmonary embolism. Our country has never been through a period like this. This is unprecedented. That we will have a lockdown for 21 days to go out and wage war against an invisible enemy. As we enter our second day of a nationwide lockdown, the number of confirmed cases is now above the 1,000 mark. Members of the army and police force continue to patrol the streets to ensure that people follow the stringent restrictions of a lockdown. And we are urging the people to stay put for next 21 days, which will really help to save all of us. I want to end up by again thanking the people, good citizens of the Republic of South Africa. I've got a long list of reports where people are reporting that this is happening there, this is happening there, this is happening there. I've promised those people that we are going to be responding quickly and fast to all those people that are messing up the goodwill and the good work that South Africans are doing. It's about the life and death of the people of South Africa. And that's where we find ourselves this week on this story at the center of a nationwide lockdown. So let's be serious about it. Let's be safe about it. If you don't join us, if you don't walk with us, we pull you to walk with us. Thank you. I'm Rian Grobler, News24 Senior Desk Reporter, and I'll be anchoring this season of the show. You're listening to The Story. It's a new podcast from News24. We'll speak to journalists and experts about the week's biggest story. This is what we saw, heard, and uncovered this week. I'm joined by Jenny Evans, who is a journalist at our Cape Town office. Jenny, soon after news broke that one of the people who died was at the Durbanville Medi-Clinic, you quickly drove out there. When you arrived at the clinic, what did you see? Was security tight? Rian, I was at the taxi rank in Belleville, just uh, checking to see whether people were abiding by the lockdown. We have permission to travel. We have we carry a special permit with us and our press card and our identity documents. So. I drove off to the the Durbanville Medi-Clinic and I I couldn't really focus. I had to actually pull myself together and concentrate on my driving because I was worried that I was going to crash into somebody. And there were were, uh, people in hazmat suits, you know, the gloves and the the head coverings and the masks and the aprons and everything. A security guard immediately approached me and wanted to know um, what I was doing there. And I told him and he just asked me very respectfully to just please leave. So I did because I really don't want to cause any more problems for him because he's got enough on his hands. So I walked over the road and honestly, there was no sign that a terrible tragedy had unfolded in there um, of, of national importance as well. 
It was just parking lot with cars, couple of people coming in and out. You could you couldn't tell that 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 it just happened there. Right. So Jenny, although officials have been tight-lipped, I know our sister publication Netvac 24 has been doing a lot of reporting on this as well. What do we know about the woman so far? The 48-year-old woman's story begins on the 16th of March, according to Netvac 24. When she started feeling really, really tired and horrible at work and she only had one appointment so she went home and on Tuesday she worked from home. Wednesday she went back to work but she was immediately sent back home because she wasn't feeling well. Her manager could see that she just she just wasn't feeling well. By last Thursday she still wasn't feeling better so she went to see a doctor and who prescribed some medicine and that just wasn't doing the job and so on the 23rd she went back to the doctor that's a Monday and he referred her to a hospital where she was tested and she also had an x-ray which picked up that she had a blood clot in one of her lungs. The weekend before she became ill she'd attended a wedding at a wine farm um, outside Tilbach, uh, Saronsberg and Uh, Apparently, on the 14th of March, there was a wedding where a guest that had attended had eventually tested positive for the COVID-19 virus. The wine farm has taken precautionary measures, of course, and has been closed since Tuesday. Right. So, Western Cape Premier Alan Wind made a few remarks regarding the deaths. Can you tell us about his statement? The Western Cape Premier Alan Windy was understandably devastated because the Western Cape has had the second highest number of positive cases in the country and he is just hammering home the message, stay home, abide by the lockdown. The virus does not discriminate and he's so right because infections will rise dramatically and there will be more deaths and you just cannot leave unless you're rendering an essential service. He's been absolutely amazing, him and his team, as have the National Department of Health. They really have been so open and open to any questions, to clarify anything. Alan Windy very quickly moved to live broadcasts, just limiting big press conferences, and I think that was a really smart move. All right. Thanks, Jenny. That was Jenny Evans, our reporter in Cape Town. I just want to mention as well that I've I've covered lots of protests. um, I've been around a lot of violence during stories, but... A stun grenade, for example, you can you can hear it, you can see it, you can run away from it, you can compartmentalize it and move on. This is so different. This is invisible and you have to go against your own intuition. You cannot hug people, you cannot touch people, you cannot stand near people. You have to say to people, don't come close to me, please, can you can you just keep your distance? And that that is really, for me, the, the hardest, but also the most important part, is just keep my distance from people, to just try and honor their stories as well. Now I'll be speaking to News24's investigative reporter, Sarah Evans. Sarah, you've been reporting a lot on government's readiness to curb the spread of COVID-19. Are we ready? I don't think any government anywhere in the world could really have been adequately prepared to deal with this. You know, we saw countries like China really rallying very quickly, building hospitals and still really struggling to contain the outbreak. I think for a variety of reasons and all countries have different dynamics that inform their response. But but I do think the South African government really struggled and scrambled to deal with COVID-19 when it broke out here just because 
there was no precedent. We were completely unprepared. We had not had to deal with a pandemic in the democratic South Africa. So, so one almost wants to give government a little bit of, you know, cut them a bit of slack in that respect. On the other hand, this is exactly why having a really solid public health system is so important. You really want a public health system that is resilient in that way and also a government infrastructure that is agile enough to cope with these kinds of of emergency situations. So from that respect, of course, our government was not prepared. What are people on the ground saying? How do doctors and medical experts feel? I think the biggest message from doctors and from experts that we've spoken to about what's going on right now is just that there's so much we still don't know. You know, this disease is so new and our circumstances are so unique because up until very recently we had very few internal transmissions. The vast majority of our cases came from international tra- travelers. So it, it made it very difficult to model uh, scenarios accurately in South Africa. So that's the one thing is, is we just don't know how this disease is going to play out based on local factors. What we do know is that the numbers are probably going to get worse before they get better. There will probably be a couple of spikes in infection rates over the next couple of weeks. But if we are able to contain the diseases spread in the next couple of weeks, we should see those numbers come down uh, within the next month or so, what they call flattening the curve. The shortage of testing kits has been a major talking point. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? The issue of test kits was very interesting to me because when we first started phoning around to try and understand what was going on and and talking to experts about this it was almost the first issue that that came up i mean you know i would ask a question which was kind of the obvious question are we prepared can can we handle this and and they would say to me well you know i'm not necessarily a public health expert or you know i'm not sure probably not and you know but have you heard about the testing kits i really want to tell you about this issue that I'm having in my lab. And I got that response from a few people and it was really interesting to me. And it became clear that we had and still do have a shortage of COVID-19 testing kits, as well as some of the other resources that are needed to do the tests. So why is there a shortage? Is it money or is it just that the demand is too high? We import all of that equipment from overseas. South Africa produces very little biotechnology. So when a a crisis like this hits, our labs really, you know, really struggle. We have to import this equipment from countries like Italy, like South Korea, like China. In fact, interestingly enough, we we import something like 26 different chemicals from India, including paracetamol. So many of these countries closed off their exports as soon as, you know, as soon as COVID-19 became very serious. And that put South Africa in a very precarious situation in terms of needing to import that equipment. Testing is expensive. The equipment is expensive. People in the labs are working around the clock. They're absolutely exhausted. They really are stretched to absolute capacity at this stage. I've actually just maybe an hour or two ago spoken to a lab worker at the National Health Laboratory Services in Cape Town who said to me, you know, with the 21-day lockdown, you'll probably find that uh, people who are mildly ill will be quarantined for 21 days anyway. So it will only be the people who are very ill who will end up going to hospital and those are the people that will then get tested. So that will take a lot of pressure off of the laboratories. I also understand that some 
equipment that is that was needed to really increase the testing capacity in the laboratories has arrived and so there definitely looks like there's a, a light at the end of the tunnel however i think the demand for testing keeps growing and there are increasing promises by government that testing will be rolled out and rolled out and rolled out more and i think there are serious questions we need to ask about how realistic that scenario really is right so currently we're in a 21 day lockdown do you think this lockdown could be extended? I think it is quite likely that the lockdown will be extended. It really, really, really depends on what the numbers look like in a couple of weeks. But we have seen in other countries that 21 days has not been enough. You know, at the end of the day, it, it really depends on how seriously South Africans take this. If we are able to flatten the curve, it might be possible that some of the restrictions will be able to be lifted at the end of the 21 days. But the reality is that we don't know how far the disease has spread yet. We only have a small sample of data with which to work in terms of, you know, the number of tests that have been conducted. And while the laboratories, I think, have done very well in that regard, just in terms of numbers, we will have a much clearer picture once people actually stop moving around and the experts are really able to assess, you know, the patterns of transmission internally. And that takes time. So so definitely within the next couple of weeks, we should we should have a better sense of where we are. But but I definitely think it's likely that that we will see an extension on this lockdown. Overall, what should we look out for? What should we focus on during this outbreak? At the end of the day, it comes down to our public health care system, and that's where all eyes should be as far as I'm concerned. You know, I'm already hearing stories about masks and gloves having to be rationed inside hospitals because there aren't enough to go around. And now that there are more isolation wards being set up, the resources are even more thinly stretched. I had also heard about washing machines that were broken at various hospitals, which meant that staff were essentially Doing the laun- doing laundry of patients, you know, by hand. We need to hold the Department of Health's feet to the fire as much as possible to ensure that they are doing everything they can to protect our healthcare workers and our doctors and make sure that they have the equipment and the resources and the support that they need. If there is an escalation in cases, many, many, many people I've spoken to, in fact, everybody has said, our system just will not handle it. We don't have enough ICU beds. We don't have enough critical care beds. We don't have enough ventilators in the country to deal with any major increase. So we need to ensure that our eyes are firmly on the Department of Health and our public hospitals and the people who run those institutions. Right, that was Sarah Evans, News 24's investigative reporter, talking to us about South Africa's healthcare system and its readiness to tackle COVID-19.